Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. There's an uneasiness growing within today's parents. Questions arise around what our kids are being taught, exposed to, and influenced by. Thankfully, a fully engaged, well-informed parent is a powerful thing. And that's why I support Answers in Genesis, and I would recommend you do as well. Because it's important to remember that the battle for our kids' minds isn't one in the courts or the classrooms. It's one from the safety and comfort of our own home. So be the difference our kids need and visit www.answers.gift today. Should Christians participate in war? This is episode 84 of En Route. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. The war in Ukraine has made people think again about the Christians and war. When is it possible for a Christian to take up arms? Are all wars okay, or are there some wars that are totally unjust? Within Christianity, there are basically two schools of thought uh, that come into focus, pacifism and just war. Pacifism, of course, is practiced by the historic peace churches, Quakers, Mennonites, Church of the Brethren, and others. But it does have a strong presence within mainline Protestant denominations, so much so that while just war theory was at one time considered dominant within mainline churches and among theologians, it has receded over the years, as many progressive Christians believe that just war theory basically justifies any war. Is it time for a revival of the just war movement? Today I talk with H. David Baer. He's a professor at Texas Lutheran University where he teaches theology, philosophy, and ethics. He's also the author of the book, Recovering Christian Realism, Just War Theory as a Political Ethic. He writes frequently about just war theory and how the work of peacemaking depends upon the responsible exercise of power. So, let's listen to David Baer. Thank you for taking the time to uh, join us this afternoon. I think I want to kind of start things off with just really the basics. 
How would you define just war theory? Okay, well, first of all, thanks thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I think just war theory is the way I would define it is, uh, well, we're talking about just war theory from a Christian perspective, so let's call it Christian just war theory. Um, Christian just war theory is an attempt to uh, make moral claims on the exercise of political power. So let's say that, so in other words, it's how do we, from a Christian perspective, we have a certain moral perspective, certain expectations um, uh, that we'd like to see from government or the exercise of governmental power, force, and power, and the just war ethic is an expression from a Christian point of view of this uh, desire to make a moral claim on the exercise of power. So it's a claim about how to exercise power and force, because we're talking about war, in a way that is compatible with uh, 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 let's, a moral vision that's rooted in Christian understanding of the world. So. And how, what type of history do you think it has, especially within the Christian church? How has that, I mean, obviously going back, are we going back centuries um, within its practice and belief? Yes, well, I, I thought you might ask me a question like that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not, a, um, now I'm not a historian, okay? I do, when I do uh, research, I mean, I, I'm historically informed, or I do a lot of, kind of historical work, but I'm not a, I can't give you an informed historical, uh, an expert opinion. But I, I think what we were talking about just war theory, uh, in terms of the history of it, it has, there are a lot of, um, I don't know what we call them, tributaries into what, what today is just war theory. So obviously in the ancient classical world, there, there was a certain sort of theory of war, so a kind of ancient classical, I'm thinking of Greek and Roman, uh, idea of just war. There's an, Romans had an idea of uh, just war. So that's one sort of tributary into this uh, tradition. Uh, there is also in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a certain understanding of war. That's another tributary. Probably, I don't know so much about this, but when, when you know, the Roman Empire, you know, it comes to an end and we start to have, uh, you know, um, we have the emergence of Europe, right? Or is it, uh, there were these Germanic tribes, and I think certain elements uh, of the just war thinking actually come from uh, these Germanic tribes. I don't know how much work's been done on that, but certain ideas of honor and oaths and stuff, I think, are... So certain what we would call in bellow requirements about how to wage war correctly, I think that these that there's a tradition there, um, and then of course you you have a you know the people who are thinking about war once you get to the you know Europe and Middle Ages and or the late Roman period are, are Christian, so they're thinking about these questions of war from a Christian perspective, and then you have the Crusades um, uh, in the you know middle or Middle Ages, the Crusades is a kind of thinking about war, and then you know and then you get to the modern period which I would think in some way emerges partly, at least as a rejection of some kind of the crusade idea, uh, and you start to get more uh, developed reflection on the question of how to wage war morally or ethically, and then, of course, many of the people who reflect on this as we get into the modern period, I mean, they're Christian in a broad sense, and maybe not theologians. So all of those things shape the how, how to think about war, because war is something that has always happened, uh, and so people have always thought about it, um, and so it would just be natural that uh, anyone, people are thinking about it, and as society becomes Christian, then Christians are thinking about 
how to how to do war correctly or, or think about it in moral terms. So there's a kind of a, a complicated history. If you did the history you'd, and you did it well, you'd have to be very nuanced and notice the, the, this this strand and that strand. So you can approach it historically, or you can um, uh, approach it sort of theologically. So the uh, so in other words, so you, we're going to kind of short circuit the history. You want to be informed by the history, but we're going to going to do a sort of theological claim. And so the theologically, the I think the the idea of just war, people who come from the just war tradition or represent that, that just war tradition are saying that, well, we have government. Government is uh, author, instituted in some broad sense. It has a divine authorization. God you know, created the world in such a way that we have government, that government exercises uh, power. And uh, Christians want to speak to by power and speak to the exercise of power and in, ensure that or try to influence the exercise of power so it's done in a in a way that's compatible with or moral expo with what's morally right. So that's what the just war people are thinking. Um, I, I think it's true uh, that um, maybe in the now, so contempt in the sort of last forty years or twenty years, or uh, maybe there is a sort of among Christian among the churches there is either sympathy for pacifism or um, sort of just generally a critical idea about war because obviously war brings a lot of destruction, devastation. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's not something you want to have happen. And, and so there's a kind of um, rejection of war. And, and then so maybe just war theory gets criticized or just war theorists get criticized as sort of endorsing war when uh, Christians, we Christians, should be against war since war is obviously bad, right? I mean, it and it is. It does all sorts of... Uh, you know, bad has all sorts of bad things. I can keep the, the from the Christian, the just war person says, well, okay, we recognize that war is bad. <clears throat> we recognize, um, you know, recognize these things, but we want to try to sort of tame it or bring it under control and make it less bad, to mitigate the the uh, uh, the uh, the negative part effects of war. Of course, that we won't be completely successful, but the whole sort of idea of international law or the international law of armed conflict, it's all about trying to, to mitigate and, and make war a rule, a rule-based activity, which will at least make it not as bad. And that's essentially what just war, uh, at least that's what just war theory is about, as I understand it, is let's, let's try to, uh, as best we can, make war uh, a less bad thing. But of course, it recognizes that there are going to be wars. That, that's true. So one of the things I've kind of learned in, in kind of reading up about this, and I think it's important that we don't normally think about with just war theory, is to see it as a way that leads, basically a way of peacemaking. Um, yes. I think normally people will say that it's this is just basically justifying war. And I think you offer really a way that this is actually leading towards peace. Um, how would you, how did you, would you explain that or kind of define right. that? So that's right, because war wants to, we don't want to have war. We want to have fewer wars and we want to make sure that when there are wars, wars lead to peace. So uh, just war uh, thinking is about trying, I think that's the ultimate goal is to try to establish a peace, build peace and build a lasting peace. That's, that's the goal. Um, the way that uh, the just war person thinks about peace is, um, this is, well, this is the way I think about it. Uh, okay. You say, well, we look at the world 
we see that there are you know states exercise power uh, that have interests. They represent their interests uh, through the exercise of power. This leads to conflict, uh, and conflict of power with power uh, can create and produce war. Right? So mm-hmm. if we want to have peace, we have to look for ways to um, mitigate the conflict of power with power, uh, to regulate it so that we don't have... Um, so we reduce the chance of outbreaks of war. So it's just a kind. There's a kind of you can call it realism at the sort of core of this is that well, we know that there are states. We'll call them state. The states who exercise power that have their interest, and we know that there's a tendency of power to conflict with power. And if we want to create peace, we have to try to construct an order, sort of an international order, or uh, that will reduce the mitigate reduce the the friction. Okay, that emerges from the conflict of power, with power, uh, and if we can do that and we can manage it, then we will um, we will be more likely to create a peace. It won't be uh, it won't be a heavenly peace. It won't be ideal. It will still be defective in many ways, but we want to we want to try to mitigate and control uh, uh, this kind of conflict to really avoid war. And whenever there is a war, in some sense, the the outbreak of war reflects a breakdown in uh, the existing order. The existing international order. Something's gotten wrong. Something, and so the point of war. I mean, one of the points of war in the long term is to try to uh, fix whatever has caused this outbreak, uh, this breakdown of uh, the international order, or, and and create a condition where it won't happen again, or that the, the likelihood that it w- will happen is less. Right? So one of the, the one of the sort of classic just war criterion is um, is the criteria, criterion of just intention. Just intention, well, there's various ways of interpreting what it means, but just intention, in the broad sense, is about the intention of, of war is to establish a peace, establish a just and lasting peace. So you have to fight a war with a just intention, um, and that means you're not supposed to just go out and, like, blow things up uh, and and uh, and just wreak havoc, okay? You're, you're supposed to exercise force, you're supposed to conduct war in a way that will lead to a political um, solution by place. So the war will no longer be, will, will stop, uh, and uh, there will be some sort of order constructed at the other side of the war that that will be peace, right? So, Do you feel that just war theory has in some ways fallen out of favor within the church over the last few decades? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, I uh, there are. Like, I mean, it, it maybe it has, uh, and maybe if you look at more sort of official church pronouncements or from the church leadership, and and say that it may have a kind of. It's not. Yeah, it's maybe kind of fallen out of favor. There are plenty of uh, Christian theologians who who are strong advocates of just war thinking. So I don't think it's really fallen out of favor. I mean, there, it depends on who you ask. There are the schools that like it. Um, I, I do think that probably <clears throat> there isn't really a lot. Of, I think if we're thinking maybe of the sort of official church pronouncements or the general attitude, uh, maybe within churches, uh, um, church leaders, and so forth, there there isn't really a. There may not well. There, there isn't such a deep understanding of the of the nuances and the richness of the just war tradition. It's as if some people think that. Of course, I'm speaking for the other side. So, uh, but it's as if some people think that if you 
the view are prepared to consider the possibility of war, and if you think that sometimes power you, will be exercised in ways that involves um, you know unpleasantness or inflict harm and so forth, well then you're just like a, a warmonger or you or something like this. Uh, and so I, th- I think that's not a fair understanding of what the just war tradition is about, and it's not a fair understanding of what uh, people who represent the just war tradition are thinking. Uh, people who represent the just war tradition are, uh, as I understand it, and are trying to think about how to create a better world, a world in which there is peace and stability, uh, but they accept, the, they think about this on accepting the basic premise that there is such a thing as political power. Uh, political power exercises force. There are going to be conflicts of power, and we have to take all of these things into account when we uh, think about, we think realistically about how we're going to create peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things I find interesting is that whole concept of power. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a lot of maybe hesitancy when it comes to that word. Um, even though I think it's a fact of life. I mean, government by itself is always, I think, exerting some form of power. But there does seem to be some hesitancy. And I should say there, because, the, of course, I'm using power in a more, in a narrow sense. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of political power. So it's some, and some political power at some level involves coercion, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, at least the threat or the possibility of conversion. I, coercion. I'm not talking about, you know, every sort of, I'm not talking about every kind of power dynamic or struck power structures or, uh, you know, informal uh, kinds of power. I mean, there's uh, power relations everywhere. So I, right. So I'm not, I'm not using power in that broader way that I think it's often used probably in the, in, in churches and, and in conversation today. So, you know, we talk about social power and, and institutional power, you know, all sorts of kinds, all sorts of ways in which there are power dynamics. But I'm I'm just talking about government uh, here as from the from the framework of just war theory. I'm just talking about government, which has uh, you know has the basically the power which at the at the root traces back to its ability to exercise coercion, right? Whether that's domestically, I mean, you got jails and police or whatever, or internationally because you have an army. So I'm talking about that kind of power. Um, I mean, I rec- and I recognize there are other kinds of power, but. Uh, what just war theory is focused on is the exercise of political power mm. understood as political power understood as uh, government, the exercise of power by government. You had mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, or used the word realism, which um, makes me think a lot about Christian realism and Reinhold Niebuhr. And I know that one of the criticisms against Niebuhr was that he was an apologist for war. Um, I don't think that that's really the case. I think that there seems to be more of a reality if reading some of his writings that, of the awareness of evil in the world and how do you combat that and deal with that. But how do we, and how do you kind of help people to understand what realism is about, that it's not necessarily that you just want to go off and have war all the time, but it's really an understanding of, of the world as it is, and and to and how where does original sin fit in in all of this? Yeah, so uh, realism, of course, is a, is a broad term, and it means different things to different people. And Reinhold Niebuhr is a is a Christian realist. I mean, I I, I accept this term. I think Christian realism, 
But even if you were to ask people what does Christian realism mean, there's probably, probably you know, people would highlight different things. So I guess uh, uh, for me, so I'm just speaking for myself, the realism here is um, it's, it is a kind of accepting sort of a hard-nosed facts that there are certain factors of human existence which are unpleasant and permanent. Uh, and you can say, you know, there are various causes of that, but at some point, certainly Niebuhr would trace that back to, you know, human sinfulness. So, uh, and it could be, human sinfulness is uh, well, various things, but it's a kind of, in this context, excessive um, uh, preference for your own self-interests over others, let's say, um, and that kind of uh, selfish advancing of interest is a, is a feature of, of politics. Uh, it's a feature of politics uh, domestically and also internationally, um, and it's just it's just that's just the human condition. So if we want to think about, uh, so I think that Christian realism accepts this, and and, and uh, Christian realists would say, well, it's uh, we want to think about the world in in a way we want to make the world a better place. We have to understand the, what the world is like, and it has uh, this feature to it. Okay, among other features, it has this feature that uh, there's. Um, there's this sort of permanent sinfulness, excessive self-interest, which leads to various kinds of conflict, and that's just a reality. We want to figure out how to make the world a better place acknowledging this reality. Now, if someone says, well, you're, that's not Christian, I mean, someone might say, well, you can talk that way, but, you know, we have Jesus' teachings, and we should follow Jesus' teachings, turn the other cheek, and love our enemies, and so on. Um, so that one argument, well, you're, when you start talking like a realist, someone would say, well, you're not really talking like a Christian anymore, you're just talking like a political scientist or a politician, but Christians should be following Jesus, and Jesus' teachings are um, basically nonviolent. Um, so, I, I, of course, then the counter-argument, well, then we have to say, well, what did what was Jesus' teachings? What did they, we were going to have an argument about uh, uh, what Jesus' teachings were and how they were intended and what circumstances they were meant to be uh, applied. Um but, of course, the, the other sort of theological response to this kind of argument, this pacifist argument, is, well, but the Bible clearly, there clearly are warrants for government and government's exercise of power in the, in the Bible. So it's clear. So the, the, the claim of the just war person, or I guess we call the Christian realist, the theological claim is that, well, God, God has um, provided that there be government. Right? So it's somehow this is part of God's providential care for create for a human create community there is that's what the bible says and the the reason why government is sort of provide god has provided for this institution not that god established it's not talking about like a okay a divine right of kings where god said okay you get to be the government but that there is government is part of the way in which uh god provides for us uh, because we live in political communities and political communities have government and government exercises power uh, and sometimes force uh, as for the well-being of human beings. And this is a traditional, this is a traditional theological view. This was the view of, certainly the view of Luther and Calvin. It was the view of the sort of dominant uh, thinkers in uh, the Christian tradition said government, God established or ordained or instituted government for the benefit of human beings uh, and among the the task of government is among it. The task of government is to provide or preserve peace, uh, and it has to and it preserves peace through the exercise of political power and sometimes use of force. Because we live in a world where people are 
self-interested and sinful, and, uh, and if we don't have a government that does this, we would have anarchy. So, I mean, at some point it just boils down to uh, how you see the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, do you see, uh, and especially in light of current issues and current problems, um, a kind of a newfound, any type of in, a newfound interest in, in learning more about just war theory, um, has you know the war in Ukraine really made people rethink some of their their ethics? I I, I don't know. Uh, I, my so you you suggested that um, uh, pass you know just war theory has a kind of bad name and pacifism more prone. Mm-hmm. My my impression is, and I could be wrong about this because I only talk to my like minded friends. But my impression is that. Uh, Pacifism is is not quite so is falling a little bit out of fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know if that's true, uh, but I do kind of get the sense that I do have that sense that um, I mean I, the only I guess one way I can explain this and this is just very subjective, but you know I teach right and I teach always teach a little bit about pacifism. Some you have some just war and pacifism, and the students at least the ones I'm teaching I don't ever really encounter these pacifist leanings. And of course I'm in Texas. But I, I do. I remember to have you know when I first started teaching twenty years ago, it seemed like the students were more sympathetic to pacifism than they they are now. So that doesn't really that's not really evidence of very much, but that's some sort of impression I have. Um, and I but it does seem to me that I mean you I don't know how you look at uh, say the situation in Ukraine right this Russian invasion of Ukraine and not think that uh, the only way to prevent, you know, you have to meet force with force. I mean, the, the pacifism would be, let's just roll over and let the, you know, the Russians come in and subjugate the Ukrainians. So there are certain kinds of very clear-cut cases of, of aggression uh, w- which seem to sort of force the issue where someone says, wait a minute, I mean, uh, we, here war is justified. Of course, when you have um, government exercising power and wars that are more questionable, right? So then you have the you know, the Iraq war, which was highly criticized, and then people say, well, look, uh, and there were certainly just war theorists who said this war was justified. Um, the, uh, then, of course, it, people will say, well, look, war is bad, and, um, uh, you know, and that, that puts, I guess, just war thinking in a bad light. And then when you have these kinds of cases like the Russian invasion of Ukraine, or we take Hitler, the Hitler example, then, and then of course, it puts uh, just war thinking in a good light. So, you know, it sort of depends, I guess, on what the like, most recent war has been uh, de- on, on maybe the, the fortunes of uh, just war thinking versus pacifism. I don't know. And do you think that there's a sense of, especially with, I always had kind of the rise of what, what I would call kind of near pacifism is kind of a sense that they there's a loss of, of perspective or loss of, of seeing kind of the way that the world is operating um, in, in their belief of, of that all war is bad and you really, um, you know, just war is basically just excusing going to war. Yeah, maybe the, the pacifists are partly are they're idealistic, perhaps, mm-hmm. and they, and they, I mean, because it would be better if we didn't have wars. Uh, and um, uh, so maybe they're idealistic and maybe they're focused on uh, sort of historical examples where, where power has been misused or war has been inappropriate, and they say, "Well, look at them. The United States is, and if we're in America, we look at how, what our the United States government has done and say, well, this was a bad war, and that was a bad war.' So 
they they may be reacting to sort of political they, they may be motivated from political criticisms of certain parts of U.S. foreign policy in the past mm-hmm. and a kind of idealism. That would be my my guess. Um, uh, I don't think that pacifism. Well, okay, I, 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 I mean biased here, right? But I don't think that pacifism is has very strong warrants. I mean, there are places in the Bible that that warrant it, but these these issues have been discussed in real, you know, forever, thousands of years. Um, and I don't think the arguments for pacifism are very, you know, so uh, so compelling. So I mean, so I so, but of course, there, I mean, I, I'm sure get some pacifists will tell me that I'm wrong. So so. Uh, um, uh, so, you know, they, they read certain parts of the Bible and they f- give prominence to those and they don't give prominence to other parts of the Bible. I suppose we just were theorists do the same thing. Uh, only we look at different passages of the Bible and, and they, um, uh, they come to a conclusion uh, and it matches their sort of political judgments of the, of the situ- of maybe U.S. foreign policy. I, I don't know. I'm not, maybe I'm not being fair to them. So. Well, I mean, one of the things that, as you, I think you said earlier, is people will take um, some of, of Jesus' teachings, so loving your enemies or forgiving, um, and saying that, you know, this is the way that we should go. How would a just war theorist look at that? Look at what does it mean to love your enemies in a, under, under just war theory? Well, okay, so the pastors do have that. I mean, they got a few arguments on their side. So they got the, uh, they they got the argument. Of, you know, Jesus says, "Do not resist evil and love your enemies." So that mm-hmm. sounds, um, that sounds kind of pacifist, right? Do not resist evil and love your enemies. Um, so they they really go with that, and and the Sermon on the Mount and those that that's sort of the the cornerstone of their approach. If you are if you're a just war person, there are various ways. Uh, I think in the tradition to try to handle or, or address that those, that those pa- that passage, basically, uh, um, the the sort of the Lutheran way is um, to say that um, well, what Jesus is commanding there is is love of neighbor, and that love of neighbor is a sort of radical love of the neighbor which puts the neighbor in front of the self, right? Which is in the ideal form, it's selfless concern for the neighbor. And so uh, that that kind of concern for the neighbor, uh, that kind of selfless concern for the neighbor does mean perhaps that in certain kinds of direct conflicts, uh, you one will subordinate one's interests or suppress one's interests, okay, rather than, than harm even an unjust aggressor because... Uh, somehow that's loving the neighbor means really sometimes just suppressing your own interests mm-hmm. um, so okay there's a kind of and there's a kind of peaceableness there I mean there's a kind of love of and uh, love of the neighbor and also sort of refusal to judge I think so we're not going to judge the case I'm just going to you know be like Jesus and and represent this peaceable um, approach uh, even as someone who's treating me unfairly uh, so that okay but then there's the, uh, this is kind of the basic uh, Lutheran approach, is it, well, but then the, the question here is, what about when the lines of responsibility are more, are more complex or more complicated than just you and the aggressor? Uh, you know, what if, uh, this is sort of, there's this famous essay by uh, 
Paul Ramsey, and I think he's got it as example from somebody else, but I can't remember what, Paul Ramsey's book, Basic Christian Ethics, I think he says. Well, okay, let's take the story of the Good Samaritan and the Good Samaritan. Well, what would the Good Samaritan, what would have been the right thing for the Good Samaritan to do if he had happened on the road right while the, the, the traveler was being beaten up? Should he have waited for the traveler to be finished, get beaten up, and then uh, go and help him take him to the end? Or, or, or should it, would it be more loving for the, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan to intervene and stop the, the harm? So, uh, so the argument here is that, well, loving the neighbor in certain complex, maybe complex and tragic circumstances, because we live in a world tainted by sin, uh, the way one expresses love for the neighbor in situations of conflict uh, can be by protecting them. Uh, and what government has been instituted by God precisely to do that, to protect people uh, from sin or from harmful behaviors coming from bad guys or bad... Uh, that's what government is there for. That's an expression of God's love for humanity and the, and the people in government who, at least in an ideal conceptual sense, the ones who exercise uh, power and force uh, to, to protect the innocent... Uh, from unjustified harm are, are showing love, right, for the innocent, right? And, and, and the necessity of this is because of the tragic condition. Uh, human beings are tainted by sin. We live in a broken, sinful world, and then there we need to, uh, unfortunately, the expression of love in that kind of world will sometimes involve friction and uh, resisting evildoers. But it's the task of government to do that. So, and that's, that's what God has provided. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he wasn't talking to um, this, you know, whatever a magistrate, right? He was or the, someone in the, in the, who had a governmental office. He was talking to us in circumstances where we don't have that kind of responsibility, right? So what Luther would say is that I mean, maybe Luther's not right, but they, I like him. So the uh, the uh, Luther would say that you know, there's uh, God has this sort of command to love the neighbor, and that and the way that love of neighbor expresses itself will differ depending on in different circumstances. So in, in some circumstances, love of neighbor will uh, mean a kind of non-resistance, okay? Uh, uh, and that's what Jesus is showing us in the Sermon on the Mount. But there are other circumstances uh, and contexts where love of neighbor will mean acting to protect uh, people who are vulnerable. Uh, and I think that we would all accept that. So the, 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 the question would be then, well, does our responsibility to protect of our love of neighbor or gov- express itself through government to, to protect the innocent, uh, are we allowed to go so far as to even use force or lethal force to protect the, the innocent? Um, and the just war person says yes, and so here it even says in the Bible you can do that. And the, the pacifist says no, you can't, you can't uh, use lethal force to protect, you could do other things. You could try to distract them or interpose yourself or something, just to distract the aggressor, or you could do something, but you can't use lethal force because Jesus has these commandments about uh, turning the other cheek. So, uh, so the just war person interprets the the, ap- the application of that passage differently. Mm. Um, the advent of um, What's happening in Ukraine has also really brought back the kind of specter of um, nuclear weapons. And Vladimir Putin has talked a lot about using tactical nukes at some point, um, you know, basically as a threat. But where 
do those type of weapons fit in any type of just war theory? All right, so I I'm not, I can't really so the the issue of uh, I'm not going to be able to answer your question very well. Okay, so okay. the uh, the uh, this issue of nuclear deterrence was discussed a lot, right, during the Cold War, uh, and there's a lot of literature on it. I haven't really looked, I haven't really thought about it since you know it wasn't really. Uh, I read these things, but I I haven't thought through it very carefully. Uh, because it really hasn't been a sort of a living question, right, since the end of the Cold War, which is, you know, when I've done most of my uh, work on just war theory. So I'm not, I, so, th- th- I mean, it's clear that the the issue of nuclear weapons is uh, complicated because these are weapons that um, uh, would be inherently indiscriminate, right? So the just war theory says, okay, fine, you're going to exercise force to protect the innocent, but you have to exercise force in a way that discriminates between combatants and non-combatants. Okay, you can, you you have to always exercise war in a, in a way that is discriminant, uh, because that's essentially what you're doing if you're really exercising power in accordance with love, right? So you're not going to go if you're if you wage war to protect the innocent, you're not going to go and like kill a bunch of innocent people, right? You're not going to target you know civilian objects, you're not going to blow up um, apartment complexes and just sort of rent, you know kill you know, shoot up people in cars and so forth because um, they aren't combatants. They're just innocent people. And if you're exercising, you're waging war in a way that's on behalf of justice, right, and on behalf of the innocent, you're not going to turn around and and act unjustly, right? I mean, and of course there's some gray area because there, there can be collateral damage, there can be accidents. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not that there aren't some issues, but, but the basic principle is you have to exercise uh, force uh, discriminately, which means that you only apply force to counter force. You don't just sort of a, a target civilians and civilian centers and non-military objects or non-military objectives. Um, so the, the issue with the nuclear war, uh, nuclear weapons, is that they it would seem to be inherently indiscriminate. I mean, you can't drop an atomic bomb, uh, you know, in a way that doesn't just blow up, you know, so much that you're just deliberately killing innocent people. So they, it seems to be an immoral weapon. Right, and so then the argument with the and if it's an immoral weapon, you can't use it, uh, and and, and uh, um, that's basically I think the um, pr- we don't really we don't really want to use nuclear weapons because I mean there may be other reasons, but because they're inherently indiscriminate, they can't be used in a moral way. So then the issue becomes, um, but what happens if you? The question becomes, what happens if you have an opponent, an enemy, who says? That he's going to use nuclear weapons, right? And you don't you want to deter him from using the nuclear weapons? Uh, and can you deter that uh, enemy without yourself threatening to use nuclear weapons? And then you're basically threatening to do something that is immoral, since the mm-hmm. use of the and so you in a sense you're using an evil means. Or you're threatening to do something that's immoral. Of course, you don't want to use them, but you have to have a credible threat. Uh, to, that you'll do something that's immoral to prevent the other side from doing something that's immoral, uh, but you shouldn't really be threatening to do something immoral either if you are following just war criteria, right? So, so the th- so there is the problem is it would seem that, and I can't give you, I haven't thought through it enough, right? So you you, you uh, the problem here is that you uh, if you threaten to use you shouldn't use nuclear weapons, but if you threaten to use them, you've already sort of made a mistake. A moral mistake, and yet if you don't communicate that you're willing to use nuclear weapons, then you may increase the probability that somebody else will use them. So, 
it's a, like a that's a that's a tough that's a tough moral quandary there. Uh, I can't. Uh, I, I haven't thought through it enough, honestly. I should. I. I. I just don't. I don't know how to think through it. Yet. I haven't thought through it. Other people have, uh, but I, I just. Uh, so that's the best I can do for you. No, I. I, I understand that. I. I just wondering because that has factored so, so, so much in this current crisis, and that also then brings up questions about deterrence. Does deterrence fit into all of this? Um, and I don't expect you to answer that. Yeah, well, so the, right. I mean, so I, I don't know what the, as far as I know. So there, ha- the, the, the Russians do. They have, um, you know, they have conventional nuclear weapons. I, I suppose in theory, I'm not enough. I don't know enough of military that you could do it in a way that uh, you, someplace you could f- fire one in some where there's no people because I whatever, and you might not kill any civilians. Or I don't know. So you, maybe you could use it in a discriminate way, but it's still a kind of it crosses a threshold. Um, that you don't, we don't want to cross because we don't want to be using nuclear weapons. So, um, uh, yeah. So, well, like, I'm not really saying anything. So, you deterrence. I mean, you in theory, you could just say, well, okay, if you do this, Russia, we're gonna we're gonna bomb. You know where you're hiding, Putin, and we'll blow up whatever the bunker where you're at. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I, I I do think that if you my thought would be that if one simply acquiesces uh, in the face of a sort of terrorist threat or going to do something, then then you are creating a situation where anyone who has those nuclear weapons can can get away whatever they want by threatening. So I, I don't know how I would think through it, but I would probably think I, I, I'd be inclined to arrive at a conclusion that there's some legitimate way to, to threaten retaliation mm-hmm. just because um, – I don't know how, in my mind, I don't see how else you can credibly deter or deal with that that um, threat. So, but I can't give you a very well reasoned moral argument. No, that's okay. How do you see yourself in service to the wider church as a just war theorist? How are how do you feel that you can connect with a local congregation? Let's say. I don't haven't found that in the. I, I suppose that uh, I haven't found that um, in my local I, in, in Texas. I don't think that there's a lot of issue with um, uh, among in the congregations. They're not really concerned about the question of like you know can you be a soldier or can you go to war or something. So probably the way uh, the, the way in the I would do it or I should do it. Uh, would be, I think, probably in that context might be to just talk about the idea, well, you know, there is a Christian teaching which says that, you know, there are limits to the way that uh, you can wage a war, right? There are there are moral limits, and we should be thinking about that also. So we shouldn't just go along with anything. We should be aware, at least from a Christian perspective, that there's actually a way of thinking about war in a limited and, and uh, as a limited Activity. So don't, don't, not, don't accept everything. So I guess in that context, maybe the, just in, instructing people in just war theory or this idea is a way of helping them to think about um, the idea that there are limits mm-hmm. and, and rules to the conduct of war. And when in my experience, that people don't usually, you know, they say, well, those are rules. I mean, pe- people are always skeptical of the idea that you can actually make war a rule-based exercise, um, in my experience when I talked about it. But I think, so that would be the emphasis, the right way to emphasizing it in a, in a congregation. I suppose if you were, um, so I think in a local 
context. That's that's the that's the direction. But I guess that just illustrates it's always a matter of context. It depends who you're talking to, um, and and what kind of argument you're having. So maybe if I was in a group of theologians, I'd be the the belligerent person. Uh, and maybe if I was in the in a, doing a study group in a congregation, I'd be the um, the peacenik. Does this have any warrant to people who are, let's say, in the military? Um, oh yeah, it does. Yeah, sure. I, I assume they should study this. They you know, need to know this. And then, and then, I mean, they, the rules of war are in there. I don't know how well they're taught, but I do think they're definitely taught about the rules of war in the you know what is the manuals that they the handbooks that they get. And then they, they're you know when they go into battle, they're told that these are the rules of engagement. I mean, I don't I, since I'm not a military person, I'm not the best person to to comment on uh, what exactly is going on, but they certainly, I mean, I certainly know that they uh, they are taught this stuff, and they are taught just war principles, um, and, and and that's important, because then they then the soldiers should know, well, I can't do, I shouldn't be doing this. I mean, they, they, the soldiers have, they'll be better, more disciplined. Of course, that stuff will break down in battle and so forth, but the, the uh, training people uh, in, 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 the, in the rules of war, I think is a, you know, at the level of the soldiers is important, mm-hmm. because it it means that increases the prompt chances that the, the soldiers will act in you know in a disciplined way. You know, mm. so. Someone that I believe reviewed your book talked about um, kind of just war theory and and all of that as discipleship. How would you see this as discipleship? Well, <laughs> I don't, don't know which review that was. Um, if you are, it depends on, if you are a soldier, okay, then you, if you're, and you're Christian, then you want to be thinking about your, um, you want to be thinking about uh, uh, how can you be a soldier in a way that's sort of faithful, right? So that would be a kind of discipleship. Or you, you want to make sure that you, you, you would want to hope that you would incorporate some sense of discipleship into your, your office of uh, being a soldier. Um, uh, if you're just someone like me, just a professor, I just sitting at a desk, um, you know, I suppose you, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, I'm making arguments. So I'm, and, and when we're talking about international affairs or something, maybe I'll, I'll make an argument about what, you know, this is okay or this is wrong. So the, maybe that's a kind of discipleship is more like a, a speaking in public based on my understanding of what the truth is. Uh, it doesn't really f- um, appear in my personal life, right? Because I'm not really in a position where I, I um, uh, have to choose. You know, I, I don't. I'm not. I, I personally don't confront those kinds of decisions, right? That a soldier would confront, or and I'm not. I'm not a policymaker. So, uh, so all I can, from my point, from where I am, it, uh, the, it's only just making sort of arguments as a sort of, I guess you could say, public intellectual or something. Uh, but otherwise, I, I don't think that. Uh, just war principles uh, and a pacifist are going to like think I'm, this just shows I'm something wrong with me. I, I don't think the just war principles uh, shape my my daily life or something like that because they just the questions don't present themselves to me, right? So I, I I suppose if you're a pacifist, you might say, well, no, my peaceableness um, is part of my path of discipleship, and it, it manifests itself in everything I do because I try to be. Peaceable in my dealings with people, and or something like that, and and okay, maybe they're true, but most of us, unless we're soldiers or unless we're policymakers, 
don't have to make decisions about the issues that that uh, are the focus of just war theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just argue about um, we can argue about policy. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting in um, one of your writings from I think two thousand five. One of the things that it talks about the role of power of government is to be a, is justice and order. Yeah. And if you don't have that, what you end up with is chaos. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that one one sense of discipleship is a sense of, of justice. Um, uh-huh. And it may not necessarily be the way that maybe someone who's more of a pacifist sees justice, but it's um, some sense of a right relationship. Yes. You know, so for me that, okay, that's your, your good. That's better than me. <laughs> so for me, see that, I guess I'm thinking that, that maybe that's kind of vocation. So for me, does, uh, so you might have a vocation. You want to advocate for justice. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to point out when things are not just, you want to, you know, domestically too, you want, there's a political order. There's a kind of arrangement, but you want it to be more just, uh, and you should, you should speak out on behalf of and criticize, uh, what you think is, uh, in unjust and make your argument. So that's a kind of, to, to me, that's like a kind of a vocation. I mean, I've done that on other things. I criticize, uh, I do a bunch of stuff on, on Hungary, and I criticize their church law. They discriminate against religious groups, and so I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm critical. Uh, and, and, and that comes out of some sense of uh, justice, and, uh, and maybe that's a kind of vocation that I'm in a position where I can do that. But so when I think of discipleship, I think more of a personal, you're sort of, I don't want to use this language, but your daily walk, you know, and, and, uh, um, uh, your daily walk with Jesus, and how does how you know how are you how are you following Jesus in your daily life, and and uh, somehow in my mind that's a more it's just more like everyday types of things. But of course you should you should have a we should care about the world, and we should care about um, justice, and we should care we should we should criticize injustice, and we should speak out on behalf of what we justice. So I, I guess that grows out of a I mean you could say that grows out of a sense of discipleship. Mm-hmm. I think you could say that. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think earlier you were talking about how you think things have changed where maybe years ago people leaned more towards kind of pacifism and now that's kind of changing. Do you think that, especially now as the, some people say that we were seeing kind of a resumption or, or, a starting over of a new Cold War, that this will bring about more questions of, of more of when to use force instead of maybe what was 30 years ago when people just kind of categorically said force is bad. Just can't well, I would guess that, you know, for now, yes, I would think that this war in Ukraine and, the, I mean, it's such a blatant case of uh, aggression and injustice that it... Uh, that it will um, put just war thinking, you know, make it a little more popular. Um, of course, who knows what will happen in the long run? I mean, it could, that, that, that's just a temporary, you know, who knows what the trend will be in the next 20 years or whatever. So there could be something else that, that turns that around and say, well, we should be more pacifist because it could be some mistake, right? Uh, so, I, yeah, I would think that, I, I, that's just my impression that, that, that pacifism is kind of not as popular as it used to be, but something could change. I mean, the United States could invade some country and unjustly, and then people would say, well, we need, you know, then pacifists would come back in fashion. So, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't have a prediction, but I, I guess I, uh, 
Yeah, maybe we'll maybe people will the, the conversation will change in some way. I think, yeah, that, I would think so. Do you think that just war also allows people to look at, let's say, a military action and really think about is this necessary or is it not necessary? I because I think for me, several years ago, um, around the time of the Iraq War, um, there were times that I believe that you know, let's say when we went into Afghanistan, that I thought that was justified. Um, a lot of the criteria leading up to the Iraq war, to me, didn't seem to make a, a right thing of justification. So I didn't support that. But it wasn't because I was a pacifist. It was because I didn't think this was the right way of going to war. Can this at least help people maybe look at any type of, of um, use of force and really kind of think through, is this the right way to, to be using force? Yes, I, I think it, yes. I mean, it, 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 because it provides a sort of a framework and a vocabulary uh, for posing questions about any sort of military intervention or war, right? So mm-hmm. it, it helps you, it, it ought to, I mean, and it could do that in congregations too. It ought to teach you to think about or teach one or people think about, well, what is our intention? Is this a just intention? I mean, obviously just cause, everyone sort of intuitively gets that, but what's the cause? What's, is there a just cause? Is there is there a just intention? Um, and, and do we have a reasonable probability of success? Are we, are we waging a, a policy or war that's likely to uh, produce a better state of affairs, lead to uh, a more peaceful world? Or are we, you know, is that, is that a plausible, is that what we're doing? How successful will we be in achieving that objective? Um, you know, yeah. So, and then you know, in terms of how you wage, is the conduct of war? I mean, are we waging the war in a way that that is that um, follows the the just war criteria for how you wage war, how you the practice of war? And if we get if you're in a situation where you can't wage war according to the laws of war, then you probably shouldn't be fighting that war because you can only fight it in ways that violate the laws of war. Right. If you don't, so or you know it might it, it probably it gets a little tricky. But you know even when we're thinking about the so-called war on terrorism, which is now sort of sort of not so prevalent anymore. But or talk. But I mean you could think about well, all right. So we have drone strikes. Okay, are these drone strikes? Do they do they uh, um, are they really following these criteria? The just war and so forth. So it's a it's a way it would be a language and a framework for uh, learning how to think about and debate. Uh, debate these kinds of questions and it's there it's helpful for anybody i mean people might still disagree a little bit about well yes there's a just intention or yes this is a discriminative use of force or not but even if they disagree within the within the context of this common language or they're, they're asking the same questions that that should enhance the, the the quality of debate so yeah i think that i think that just war theory or yeah i, I totally think that it's it's a helpful framework and uh, it's a good way to talk about these issues and express our judgments. And that, that would be, that's a useful service it, it provides for, or can provide for, you know, public deliberation about, you know, the use of force. Kind of wrapping this up, I, one question I have is, what is your hope for the church in the coming years, especially as, you know, we're dealing with, with these questions concerning conflict? Well, my hope for the, uh, in, in relation to this, my, I would hope that uh, uh, the churches and the Lutheran church would, would uh, sh- show more interest in its own history. 
mm-hmm. its own theological traditions and legacy, and not always dismiss it as if it were mistaken. So Luther was uh, Luther gets a bad rap half the time for his. Uh, uh, I you know, supposedly he was an authoritarian, and supposedly he, he was against all rebellion, and supposedly you know he. He said it's sort of excessive, which he did, of course, say things excessively. And so we just not going to, or Luther's idea of orders and the two kingdoms is all bad. It's somehow related to Hitler. And, and, and so we're just not going to, we just have to sort of leave it behind and, and or at least downplay it, right? Or soft pedal it. Uh, and I think if, um, uh, so this would be just for Lutherans, if Lutherans actually spend a little time more, or more carefully looking at their own tradition, they would discover that it's, um, not so simple it's not so simplistic mm-hmm. as it's described uh that there are all sorts of resources there for thinking i mean it doesn't mean we're just going to go repeat and whatever luther said but the it, luther's much more uh, uh, thoughtful and subtle uh, than uh these sort of simplistic caricatures of the lutheran tradition and they, we don't need to be ashamed of that so if it were um so that's what i would like is in this question is if we could just not be so we could just spend more time understanding our own tradition i mean that doesn't mean that it's everything's right in our tradition or that other people don't have things to say but but we could still we could understand it and and pull out what's best in it and and draw on it to make uh, uh, intelligent contributions to public i guess public debate public discourse and i think uh, i think that a lot of times um i just don't think there's evidence of a very deep appreciation of our own tradition in the Lutheran Church, for example. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for um, taking the time to chat with me today, um, Professor Bear. I think that these are important issues, um, especially right now. And um, really to that, you know, I think that a lot of these issues, you really have to do some thinking about them, but it's not always the easy answer. And I think sometimes in, in many cases, either way, sometimes we think that the answer is very simple and it's not. Um, and I think discipleship is, is not easy. So um, thank you for the time to take, um, for, for taking the time to talk to me today. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I'm going to like sneak in here at the last minute. I'm going to have a plug for my own podcast. Yes, it's not as it's not as, it's not as well produced as your podcast, and it's a monthly. And so, but I have a podcast called Bear Talk with my spelled like my name B A E R, and I like the animal Bear Talk, uh, where I talk about different things related to faith and public affairs and so forth. So, if anybody thought this was an interesting conversation and wanted to check out my own podcast, you can find it on all the podcast and Spotify iTunes etc so I'm just going to sneak I'm just going to sneak that in at the end but anyway thanks for having me and I appreciate it I enjoyed the conversation all right
Um, and I hope that this was a helpful episode for you. Now, as I've said in a recent episode, I'm trying to only close with one call to action, but for this episode, I'm breaking the rule a little bit. There actually will be two. So the first one is to please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. When you leave a review or rating, you allow those uh, magical algorithms to make it easier to find this podcast. So if you listen to this podcast and like it, leave a review. The second thing is I'd like to get your opinion. I'm trying to find out if the name of this podcast and root continues to work as a podcast that is focused on religion. When, when people think about Enroot, do they think about a podcast on religion? So do you like it? Do you not like it? If so, let me know by dropping a line at reverendpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. It's really important for me to find out if this is a good name for the podcast or if I need to consider changing it. So please, please, please let me know. Well, that is it for this episode of En Route, the podcast that is at the intersection of Church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and we will see you soon. Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com.